Hello, all you hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 40, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And I am here to tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, with complete certainty in my heart, that peanut butter and jelly is the best lunch sandwich it's the best sandwich that you can ever ask for i know (laughs) very weird antidote to start the show today um i was just thinking about it you know before before starting up the show today i had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch and normally i get my groceries all on monday and i was walking through the bread aisle and you know peanut butter was buy one get one so i thought to myself hey you know what i haven't had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in years and years and years maybe it'd be maybe it would be uh, something, you know, something really nice and sweet to relive my childhood a little bit because that was my favorite. That was my absolute favorite, you know, lunch as a kid. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich with some goldfish and maybe a, a granola bar or or some water or something or the other. Uh, you know, that's that's what I had frequently as a kid. You know, sometimes my family, we took a break and we had a bunch of lunch meat. You know, your turkey, your ham. I was never really a Lunchables kid. You all remember Lunchables? Those little, is Lunchables even still a thing? Is it I, those those little packets with like there was a pizza one and then there was like a ham and cheese cracker one or and then there was a nacho one as well. Not a sponsored stream, by the way, uh, <laughs> or not a sponsored podcast, by the way. I just remember there was everybody had those Lunchables, but I was still just clinging to life on my love for peanut butter and jelly, the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as a kid. And I hadn't had it, as I'd said, for years and years and years. And I thought to myself, just because it was on BOGO, I said, why the heck not? And I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich today. And uh, it's like that scene from Ratatouille. It was like that scene from Ratatouille in which Anton Ego tries the Ratatouille and it takes him back to his childhood. I literally got pounded back into my seat just with feelings of childhood and, and um, you know, eating that for lunch every day. We're going to school and how, you know, it made my day. Uh, as a little chubby kid. Um, <laughs> so, peanut butter and jelly sandwich is the absolute goat of, of lunchtime sandwiches. Uh, I'm sorry, it is now a undisputed fact, and if you think otherwise, you can kindly, kindly click off. Just kidding, it's not that serious. I hope that you stay and that you enjoy the episode of the podcast. Uh, a short show today. The NFL draft is coming up in a couple of hours, so I'm kind of rushing to get this out before the draft starts. I apologize for not having a show for a couple of days. Um, I wanted to make a show yesterday, as I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I, I wanted to make a show yesterday, but I thought that something was going to happen, and luckily it did happen. That was a trade between the Broncos and the Panthers. We'll talk about that coming up very shortly. Then we'll talk about Julio Jones potentially being on the, being on the trading block for the Atlanta Falcons, and we're also going to talk a little bit about baseball today. Again, a much shorter show. We're going to have a lot to talk about with the NFL draft coming up this weekend. We're going to have oozes and oozes and barrels of content to talk about, so expect more frequent shows. Expect longer shows with more topics. I'm really excited for the speculation of the NFL draft draft to end and we can actually start talking about the finalized picks as to what these teams are doing and how these prospects are going to shape up with the teams that they're drafted towards and for so with that being said let's just go ahead and get the show started today so the nfl draft is just a couple hours away by the time that this gets uploaded and I am so excited. I am so excited for this draft to happen because I am so sick and tired of the speculation. Don't get me wrong. Speculation is one of the really fun things that anybody in the media can do. It certainly brings in the views. Everybody has their own opinion. But after weeks and weeks and months and months of speculation, 
at, at some point you just want to move on and actually get to the draft and start talking about the the actual moves that these team makes and start analyzing uh, what these teams are going for, whether or not they made good decisions or not. That's what everybody's working for. And I wanted to make an episode of the podcast yesterday. I, I was really, really wanted to. And something in my gut was telling me, no, you should wait. Something's going to happen. We're one day away from the draft. Something is going to happen. Something has got to happen at this point. And I don't know whether I'm just clairvoyant or I'm extremely lucky <laughs> because something did happen, something materialized, and that materialization was the Broncos and the Panthers reaching an agreement on a trade that will send Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos for a six-round pick. And the important thing to note here is that the Panthers will convert $7 million of the $10 million guaranteed into a paid bonus, leaving a one-year, $3 million fully guaranteed contract for Denver to work with. So... The big thing here is that Bridgewater's massive contract, which arguably was arguably was probably the worst thing about Teddy Bridgewater, was the fact that his contract was so massive and absolutely not worth the quality on the field that he was delivering. I think the Carolina Panthers paid, what, $31 million for 15 games? Now, I'm no mathematician, but that is about $2 million per game, and that is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. A lot of money that was wasted, and granted, a 5-11 and season for Carolina could have been much, much better given the amount of injuries that Carolina had, especially considering that Carolina was competitive in a lot of those games that they lost. They only lost a lot of those games by one score, um, even even maybe even less than three or four points at times as well. So they were very, very close from turning a 5-11 and season into something that probably would have been a playoff season. So I don't really necessarily care about the what-ifs. I care about the what-now and what what's going to happen moving forward. So, you know, there's very, it's very rare when a trade leaves me asking a lot of questions. Now, you know, normally I can see when a trade happens, what the teams are going for, what they're trying to do. I can take a look at a situation and analyze it in an unbiased manner and say, okay, I understand. I see now whether or not I agree with what's happening. That is a separate, you know, end of the story or a separate part of the deal. But I think it's very, very interesting as to what Denver is trying to do here, because we've actually talked about you know, the possibility of Denver moving on from Drew Locke on the show recently. I don't know whether it was last week. I don't know if it was two weeks ago. But we talked about the possibility on if a top-five quarterback fell to the Broncos at number nine, which now it looks more and more like some of those quarterbacks will be falling further, further back into the first round. If one of those quarterbacks dropped to Denver at number nine, whether that be Lance, Fields, or Mac Jones, whatever the runt of the litter is, if it falls to you at number nine, would you, at as Denver, at number nine, take a flyer and draft a quarterback to replace Drew Locke if you have the guy that you absolutely like in that spot? Because let's be honest, Drew Locke has been not so great of a quarterback. I don't necessarily like Drew Locke. I think he's got some potential, but I don't think he's really that great of a quarterback currently. I, I could see what Denver sees when they drafted him. I could see the flashes of brilliance for Drew Locke, but currently I think he's immature, and I don't think he has a lot to offer his team until he matures and kind of gets into the mindset of being a professional football player. Drew Locke is, without a doubt in my mind, the worst quarterback in that division, especially now that Justin Herbert has bursted onto the scene in Los Angeles. So not only do you have two really elite quarterbacks, and I would argue that at this point in time, Justin Herbert is elite. He's definitely top 10. Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, and then you also have Derek Carr there. Now, depending on how you feel about Derek Carr, he could also be a, a an above average to really good quarterback. So when you and so as Drew Locke being the quarterback of the Denver Broncos, 
that's not necessarily a short leap between third and fourth. It's a massive gaping canyon uh, between <laughs> the third and fourth spot in terms of quarterback rankings in that division. So we talked about whether or not the Broncos should move on from Drew Locke. And essentially what I said is as much as I'm not really sold on Drew Locke, and even though I see his potential, I'm not sold on what I've seen from him so far. Even though I'm not sold on Drew Locke, I think I would probably give him another season and you could address some of the other problems that the Broncos have and some of the other needs that they need, which they definitely need some, need some offensive line help. And I suggested that they draft Rayshon Slater uh, in the hard-headed sports mock draft. I think Rayshon Slater is probably one of the best offensive line prospects in this draft. I think he'd be really good in Denver. So essentially... Again, I don't know if I'm clairvoyant or just lucky, but it appears that that's kind of the sentiment that George Patton, who is the general manager of the Denver Broncos, has felt uh, also as now they have traded for Teddy Bridgewater. And they are more than likely not going to draft a quarterback with number nine. I imagine that they probably draft an offensive tackle, offensive lineman, as I said, or they can go cornerback as well. They could use some help um, at the cornerback position to help out with Kyle Fuller, who did get picked up in the offseason. I do want to briefly talk about this from Carolina's perspective as well. I really like what Carolina's done here. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I wasn't opposed to the idea of him kind of playing in front of Sam Darnold for a year, but I think what Sam Darnold really needs is a team that believes in him 100%. And what this does is this clears the room for Sam Darnold for Carolina and Matt Rule to say, you are our number one guy. Go and prove to us what we believe in you to be. Go and prove to us that you are worth that draft selection. Go and prove to us that you are one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Prove to us that you can do it and we will do our best to help you and we will do our best to give you our utmost confidence, et cetera, et cetera. I think coming from a situation in New York, this is exactly what Sam Darnold needed. And as much as you know, I like Teddy Bridgewater, especially as a leader and as a person, and, you know, the story that he's been through, I think it's very beneficial for him to move on from Carolina and Sam Darnold to be given complete control of the floor. So in that essence, I really like what Carolina has done here. They were uh, again, they were also able to completely eliminate a lot of that contract. So good business. And it will allow Carolina to maybe open up some more options. Maybe they don't. Maybe they trade back now. Maybe they draft a, a defensive weapon in my mock draft. I believe I had them taking Micah Parsons at seven, which is in my mind, the best linebacker in the draft. So I really like what Carolina has done here. They've cleared the floor for Darnold to give him the true fresh start that he probably craves and requires, you know, getting away from Gase, being given the opportunity to truly be the number one guy. And even though Sam Darnold was quote unquote, the number one guy, it always felt like there was something up, whether it was the mono that he got, whether it was just the, the looming uh, media presence in New York saying, well, look, New York is just feeling horribly. Is it Darnold's fault? Is it Gase's fault? Who is it? Is, is he really the right quarterback for the Jets? I'm sure all that conversation didn't help Sam Darnold, and now that he's going to Carolina, I'm really happy that Carolina is giving him the floor, giving him the clean slate. Now, hopping back over to the Denver side of things, and then we'll wrap up this wrap up the segment here. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. Um, it seems like they're kind of throwing themselves back into a QB carousel. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a bridge quarterback. That's actually kind of catchy. Bridgewater, the bridge quarterback. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how they handle that. Because essentially, I would imagine, and this is where I say, oh, I have a lot of questions with this trade. I, I assume that they're saying with this trade, hey, Drew Locke, we're thankful for what you've done for us in the past, but we're needing to bring in some more competition. We need to have somebody else come in and try and win us some football games. 
I imagine that this is Denver admitting in some capacity that they don't think that Drew Locke is the future because I think that Teddy Bridgewater is much better than Drew Locke is. Now, actually, if you look at the stats, they've had some pretty similar stats, but Bridgewater has uh, an advantage in terms of um, a, a couple advantages. Now, both teams were five and eleven. Both teams actually lost quite. You know, a few close games last season. Uh, the Broncos, you can make the same argument that as you did for Carolina, that if a couple more things had gone their way, they would have had a better record and potentially could have been a playoff team. I'm um, I'm not necessarily so sure about the Broncos because the AFC was stacked last year, and if a 10-6 and six Dolphins team couldn't make it into the playoffs, there was no way that a 9-7 and seven or 8-8 eight and eight Broncos team could make the playoffs if they ended up winning more games. But that aside... Um, the, the stats for both quarterbacks last season, Bridgewater, thir, uh, 3,733 yards, 15 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and 15 games played. Drew Locke, 2,933 yards, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and 13 games played. So obviously Bridgewater has a big leap over Drew Locke when it comes to yardage uh, in terms of how many yards he's thrown for, but the the... the 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 stats are mostly similar. I still think that Bridgewater is a better quarterback just merely in terms of his experience and how he handles the locker room. But more or less, it seems like Denver is throwing themselves willingly back into a quarterback carousel for at least one or two more seasons while they wait for another quarterback to come along. And I understand why they feel the, the need to do that. They can definitely win off their defense, especially after acquiring Kyle Fuller. They can absolutely win off their defense. Von Miller's back. They've got a great defensive line. But, you know, they've been in a QB carousel ever since Peyton Manning retired, and whether it's been Paxton Lynch or Trevor Simeon or Drew Locke or now potentially Teddy Bridgewater, I just don't know. I, I have a lot of questions about this move. I understand why that they're I understand why they're doing it, but just so many questions about what's going to happen and what could possibly happen because maybe the locker room likes Locke, or maybe the locker room likes Bridgewater, or maybe it's a 50-50 split down the middle, and if your locker room is split 50-50, that's just going to really impede the development of your football team. A lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Um and again, it's very rare that I, I struggle to find the light at the end of the tunnel for these teams when, you know, analyzing why they're making these moves. And, and again, whether or not I agree with them, that's a completely separate story. But the questions that I have for Denver are going to be solved probably within the next 48 hours. And even for Carolina, I have some questions that are probably going to be solved in the next 48 hours. Do the, do the Panthers even flirt with the idea of drafting a quarterback now that one of their quarterbacks was traded away? I wouldn't think so. Again, I like the idea of Sam Darnold getting a completely clean slate and getting a completely open floor and, and Matt rule and Carolina basically saying, Hey, look, the floor is yours. Let's try and fix each other here. I like that idea, and I don't know how it would be received, especially by Sam Darnold if they ended up taking a quarterback at number eight. Um, very, very interesting. This is I, I, I feel like this is going to end up being a good trade for both parties, especially for what, more specifically for Denver in terms of what they gave up to acquire Bridgewater and the contract that he was on. They, they eliminated the contract. They only had to spend a six-round pick, and they don't have to worry about taking the right quarterback in the first round. They get some extra time to fill some other gaps in in their team while they look for a quarterback elsewhere. And maybe Chetty Birchwater ends up being the guy in Denver a couple seasons down the line anyways. And um, again, as I already said, I really like what this, what this trade does for Carolina as well. What do you think about the trade between Carolina and Denver? Definitely type in the comment section down below. Let me know what you are thinking and if you think that one team won the trade over the other. 
Atlanta Falcons general manager, the new general manager, um, Terry Fontenet, has announced and put out into circulation that Julio Jones is on the trading block. He is listening to offers for one Julio Jones. And my first reaction is, why? Um, <laughs> granted, the Falcons have been very, very quiet about what they're going to be doing with the fourth selection in the NFL draft. We talked about it recently. I felt like the Falcons were being quiet. I felt like, hey, maybe they're still in the market to take a quarterback. But as time has gone on, it looks like they're more and more infatuated with Kyle Pitts. And the likelihood is that they take Kyle Pitts at number four. So you have Calvin Ridley, you have Julio Jones. And now if you add Kyle Pitts to the mix, that sounds like an offense that I don't think any NFL defense would have fun going against. And that could be one of the best offensive combinations in the history of the NFL it has the potential to be when you take one of the best wide receivers to play the game you have an up-and-coming star wide receiver on Calvin Ridley and you have a tight end who is projected to be one of the best tight ends to ever play the game that offense is going to be incredibly scary so my first reaction to Terry Fontenot saying hey we're taking offers through Julio is why now, I understand that's a little bit more of a casual take on it, and sometimes the casual take is the correct take, and it's the fan in me, sure. I'm sure there's a, a lot of, you know, just the general football fan in me that's saying, no, I want to see Kyle Pitts and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley play on the same te team together and absolutely decimate the entire football league because that's just entertaining, fun football. But when forced to think about why the Falcons would want to, would want to move on from Julio Jones, the only real reason that I could think of would be salary cap issues. The Falcons had to do a lot of work to move themselves out of salary cap hell this year, and the only reason I would imagine that they're trying to trade Julio is to set them up into a better position next year because Julio has one of the biggest contracts on the team, if not the biggest contract. I think Matt Ryan has a bigger contract, but I remember reading a snap before when it came to the Atlanta Falcons, and I think that the top four earners in terms of... of wages for the Atlanta Falcons take up about 25% of the cap space. Some some ridiculous number. Uh, the top four or five earners on the Falcons earn a ridiculous majority of the entire salary cap allowed by the NFL when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons. So that is the only reason why I would imagine Terry Fontana is taking offers for Julio Jones is to kind of clear some cap space pre preliminarily uh, for the next season just in case the Falcons need to rebuild at some point. But again, the casual football fan in me isn't like, why? Don't do that. Like, give me this. I want to watch this. I'm not a Falcons fan, but just as a fan of the NFL in general, I would love to see Julio, Calvin, and Kyle Pitts on the same team with Matt Ryan, who is, again, one of the better quarterbacks in the league falling out of his prime. And it's not like Julio Jones is falling out of his prime either. You know, that's the other thing that kind of, you know, makes me scratch my head and say, why is that? It's not like Julio Jones had a season like A.J. Green just had, where he's he was formerly considered one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and he had just a horrendous year, and now he's out of Cincinnati. He's had a change of scenery. Now he's in Arizona, if I remember correctly. It's not like Julio Jones had one of those seasons, and they're looking to move on from him. And kind of playing the, the coin flip game on whether or not he has a return to foreign season. No, Julio Jones has been the, one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL for multiple, multiple years now. And he's not out of his prime. He has about two or three more years of being the Julio Jones that we all know and expect him to be. So, again, it's like, why? Um, the, only, the only way 
if I'm Terry Fontenet, the only way that I would actually give up Julio Jones is if I can get a team that is stupid enough to give me their first round pick and I can draft his replacement right away. Now, the Atlanta Falcons have a ton, a ton of holes to fix on the defensive side of the ball. Again, I think Julio Jones is more of the solution than he is part of the problem, and I just don't understand why you would trade Julio Jones unless you can A, get a first-round pick. Maybe the Lions or the Dolphins would be stupid enough to give one of their two first-round picks, or excuse me, the Dolphins have two first-round picks, the Lions have one, but the thought being the same, if you can get one of those two to fork up their first-rounder or one of the first-rounders if you're you know trading with the Dolphins so you can draft a wide receiver who could be just as good as Julio, but obviously on a rookie contract at a cheaper price then it's like okay but again the Falcons don't need offense offensively the Falcons were fine it's the defense that just completely collapsed and lost all of those games because remember the Falcons last season had leads in a bunch of games but the defense collapsed like they were playing against the Patriots in a Super Bowl oops sorry um <laughs> the defense is what needs to be fixed so just kind of running through in you know multiple situations and talking about it in my head, the only real reason that I could see why Julio would be traded would be a cap space for next season, trying to get an early you know jump on trying to mend the cap situation in Atlanta, assuming that they're a team that's on the bubble, could be a playoff team, could be a team that needs to nuke it and blow it up and start over within the next two seasons or so. So it's either a salary cap consideration, it's either a play by Fontenet to try and replace Julio with somebody younger that could be better. Better, but then again, you would probably need a first round pick from one of the teams that are looking for a quarterback in the first round or excuse me, a, a wide receiver in the first round of this year's draft. So teams like the Lions, teams like the Dolphins, teams like the Eagles, uh, the Patriots to some extent. If you can nab somebody's first round pick and draft a replacement for Julio Jones right away, then that would make sense and I would be okay with that. But again, it's not like the Falcons need help on offense, they need help on defense. So would you be trading Julio Jones for a defensive selection? Would you be trading Julio Jones for a first or second round pick in which you could draft a edge rusher or another linebacker? Now see, those are kind of questions that are going to be answered within the next 48 hours. Kind of like I said in the previous segment talking about Teddy Bridgewater, the Broncos, and the Carolina Panthers, these are questions that are probably going to be answered within the next 48 hours, but as the headline dictates, Julio Jones on the trading block, the main question that I keep coming back to and, and just saying is just why? Just why? I mean, I don't think that anything will come of it because the likelihood of them getting actual value for Julio Jones, not, not that he isn't valuable, but getting something that's the right package for Julio Jones, maybe I should say. I think the likelihood of that happening is extremely low, uh, especially because what they would be trying to do and trying to manipulate that package into is a little bit far-fetched, and it would take a team making a real big uh-oh, pulling a real big bad mistake and trading away a first or second round pick to the Falcons so they could replace Julio Jones immediately if they would want to replace Julio Jones immediately. And again, that just leads back into it, the casual football side of this, where it's just like, man, I would love to see Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, and Julio Jones, because just Calvin Ridley and Kyle put in Kyle Pitts is not as entertaining for some reason. I don't know. Uh, so that's kind of my thoughts on the news that Julio Jones is up on the trading block or is being shopped by uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Tell me what you think about Julio Jones. Do you think that he should be traded or should the Falcons continue to keep him on the team as part of the solution to fixing uh, Atlanta? I'm, I'm curious to see. I just I just why I, I just don't understand why. 
And to finish out the show today, I wanted to talk a little bit of baseball, actually. Now, the last time I talked about baseball, I mentioned that I don't really watch baseball all that much. Uh, baseball is not necessarily my sport of choice. It's definitely the one that if I'm flipping through my ESPN Plus and I see, you know, a whole bunch of different games on, baseball is probably the last thing that I'm going to pick. But I did watch the Dodgers versus Padres series last weekend, and that was tremendous television. Tremendous television, and that was genuinely exciting to watch. And I'm glad that I watched it. And I'm glad that I watched it for one specific reason, and that's the kind of trash talking that came out between Trevor Bauer and Fernando Tatis Jr. Now the Padres and the Dodgers, I've already said this a couple of times on the show, the Dodgers versus the Padres are going to be one of the major stories of the, of the uh, Major League Baseball season. The Dodgers obviously defending champions, the Padres are the up-and-comers, they spent a ton of money on players this offseason and it's going to be a genuine battle between really bitter division foes that are really good at the same time, it's just going to be really, really good baseball to watch. And I mentioned the last time I talked about baseball on the show that I don't watch it very often, but when I do, and when there's an interesting game, there's always something that seems to ruin it. And of course, now I'm referring to the Phillies versus the Braves, in which the guy was clearly out at home plate, and the NFL, excuse me, or the MLB replay just completely butchered the call, and the game was kind of ruined at that point. Baseball has a habit of getting in its own way in terms of trying to stick to what the old game was like. And it seems like baseball is very out of touch with the audience. And baseball, as a result, can be extremely boring to watch, or at least that's my perception of it. So to have, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a couple of homers off of Trevor Bauer and kind of, um, kind of make some gestures towards the mound and just for Trevor Bauer to come back later and say, I had no problems with him showboating or gloating or trolling me. Uh, and any pitchers, you know, that do are just soft. I had to, I had to just get out of my seat and, and clap for Mr. Trevor Bauer, because that is exactly the ethos of what I consider to be wrong with baseball. The fact that there's no emotion. It seems like, you know, there, there's oh, there's a certain canned amount of emotion that you're allowed to have in baseball. Only a certain amount, and if it's not the right type of emotion, then everybody gets so nitpicky, and everybody gets so angry and grumpy all the time, and you get thrown at. It's like, it takes the interesting and entertaining aspect out of the game, and I'm really happy that Trevor Bauer kind of called everybody out for being, you know, very nitpicky about what type of emotion you're allowed to display in, in baseball, because, you know, things like the Jose Bautista bat flip, I want to see more things like that in MLB. Like, that obviously was a huge, huge, you know, memory that will be etched into the history of baseball forever. And Jose Bautista got a lot of flack for that. He got a lot of flack. He was thrown at multiple times because of the way that he flipped his bat and the emotion that he saw or that he, he displayed. And to me, that's what makes baseball interesting. If there's more of that, if we, if, you know, baseball as a whole kind of loosens up a little bit and allows more things like trash talking during home runs and doesn't get so butthurt for, I guess, lack of a better term, when a team goes against the unwritten rules of baseball, you know, once the MLB and the team start loosening up and letting go of that things, I think baseball as a sport will start to become more attractive for people like me who would rather literally scrolling through on my ESPN and seeing women's volleyball, college women's volleyball, I'm opting to watch that over watching a Sunday night, you know, baseball game. And it's like, well, why? And it's just because, well, 
you know, I find that game at least a little bit more interesting because I'll tune into a, a random baseball game and everybody's just moping around and, um, I'm trying not to make this just a rant on baseball, but uh, everybody's just moping around. There's no emotion. Everybody's up to the plate. It looks like they're dead inside. They're going to take a 2-0 pitch and swing at it. Uh, and, up, oh, I guess he's out. You know, the pitcher calmly walks down to the mound, like, or walks down to the dugout after the third out. It's like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I meant to do that, you know, you know, as opposed to, you know, if you get that strikeout, you know, the pitcher showing some really like, uh, like, yeah, like, let's go. And as opposed to, you know, what if, you know, that batter got a hit and it was a really key hit, you know, are you going to like really be animated? No. In today's baseball, it's like, I'm going to run the first base and have a conversation with the first baseman and show no emotion. Like I, I just want the game of baseball to loosen up. And have these unwritten rules about how you're supposed to act playing the baseball game to kind of just be thrown into the past because the comments that Trevor Bauer made about, you know, being fine with, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. kind of trolling him after the home run. I want more to kind of accept that philosophy. And I'm really proud and happy that Trevor Bauer actually ended up saying something uh, because that that's something that I've been feeling about baseball for a really long time. And I hope that uh, baseball again loosens up and maybe moves towards the future and allowing more you know animation in what the players can do and cannot do and what they can say and can't say and you know it, it's kind of sad that if you celebrate during a home run that you you have the possibility of teams just not liking your action and are going to throw at somebody else uh you know later on in the game or in the next game it's just like come on um yeah i'm really happy that trevor bauer said something i'm excited to see if that sparks any change down through the uh the mlb for the rest of the season and that's the end of the show today very very short because i've got an uh, nfl draft to watch we're going to have a lot of draft analysis coming up very very soon this weekend and into next week so make sure that you stay comfortable and stay tuned for that thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of the hard-headed sports podcast episode number 40 of the hard-headed sports podcast and with that all being said stay hard-headed everybody but have a nice day.